Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Well, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. Colonel Valdez, thank you. Thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for leading us in prayer over our veterans today. And we express our gratitude to all who are serving and who are currently serving in our armed forces. We have just uh, like 48 hours till election day. And I just want to remind you this morning of how important it is to vote. No one is telling you how to vote. We are encouraging you to vote. We do have uh, voter guides in the lobby. If you're curious how the candidates in the races responded to biblical issues, there is that voter guide available to you. Some of these races are very razor thin uh, from everything that the polls are telling us and we need to vote. Uh, there are actually two great opportunities this week to do something with your kids or grandkids to show them by example. One is to vote if you haven't done so already and to invite your kids or grandkids with you and so they can see you participating in democracy as you uh, place your ballot, give your ballot, however you uh, submit your ballot. And the other thing is uh, we're still trying to fill those Thanksgiving boxes. And uh, sometimes we do this by, uh, we ask for donations and we buy it, but there's something about actually bringing in the items. And so we have some tables out in the lobby, and this is a great opportunity if you have kids or grandkids or you come with nieces or nephews or the neighbor kids or whatever, to uh, grab one of the cards that lays out what we are trying to put in the Thanksgiving boxes and to take your kids, grandkids, or whoever to the store and shop for these items and then bring them and place them on the table and explain to them uh, what gratitude means and about helping others. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, kind of the message before the message. Thank you, Christina, for getting us set up for next week, Miracle Offering Sunday. We know that many are excited for this. Um, and as always, please only participate in next week if it's something that you can do with cheer in your heart. If not, then um, that's totally okay. I do believe that we have some in our church family. You want to participate in the Miracle Offering Sunday next week, but you don't know how it's going to be possible. Money is, there's, you look at the account and you're like, how are we possibly going to do this? You want to, but you don't know how. My, my encouragement is this week, if it is your desire to be part of that miracle offering next week where we are all praying that we would be able to bring our best offering of the year, I would just encourage you to pray this week, Father, I want to be part of the miracle offering, but I look at where things are right now and I don't know where I could even find another dollar. And ask God, say, Father, I want to be part of the miracle offering. And if you would have me be part of this, would you put something in front of me this week that I could bring for the miracle offering? And I believe that God is going to answer that prayer across our church family. I want to tell you three short uh, true stories about, uh, th that will give us some hope for Hollywood. 
a Christian media producer, he uh, writes that in the last 20 years, we've actually seen a resurgence of people who are Christ followers in the entertainment industry. He says that insiders know that across all areas of the entertainment industry, we are seeing Christians being put in places. And he says this means that people of faith are in the room when decisions are being made more and more. And he recounts the story of one network TV writer who is a follower of Christ and was criticized by other Christians because this TV writer took part in a series where some of the themes had to do with violence and demonic activity and the supernatural. And the Christian's response was, can you imagine where this series would have gone if I had not been in the writer's room to influence it toward a better direction? There's also a Christian actress who has appeared in TV shows and films. And she said in an interview uh, how, that, how she's turned down many of the roles that she's been offered. She says a lot of times in the industry, we like to push boundaries just for the sake of pushing boundaries. But it doesn't necessarily help the story. It doesn't add anything more to the story other than pushing boundaries. And so she says in this interview, so I don't do projects like that anymore. And then the third example, a Christian singer who is urging subscribers to cancel their video on demand plans and subscription plans after an entertainment company's leaders spoke about promoting sexual identity ideologies to children through movies and TV shows. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew 18, 7, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. Jesus says, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. When culture around us, including what comes at us through our screens, what's amazing is that you can buy TVs bigger than ever now, but people prefer to watch whatever it is on their phones. Like the TV is on, but we're watching something else here. When culture around us, including what comes at us through our screens as entertainment, when the content runs against what Jesus teaches and what the Bible says, I want us to think about a few questions. And these are, uh, these are questions right now just to think about, not to answer out loud. Do followers of Christ, do we remain in or do we even pursue positions on the inside and try to influence change from the inside out? Or, or... Do we walk away and instead give our time, our talent, and our treasure to organizations and content that reflects Christian values? Or do we take a stand and do we speak out against what clearly contradicts God's word? As we're thinking about these questions, we're wrapping up a two-part series today. Today is part two of two of a series called Change. And, and the subheading is bringing meaningful change to a culture drifting from God. Last week, we talked about how many of us are discouraged by national, state, and local government decisions that are pushing our culture, pushing our community farther and farther away from biblical values. And in summary, last week, we, we said we can become so consumed with what we're against that we lose sight of what we're for. And also, political change without spiritual revival will likely be short-lived. Meaning that, yes, there are moments where we, we stand up and say, this is not right, not on my watch, this cannot continue. 
And also, Jesus died for every person on the planet, even the politician who you cannot stand. And our desire is to be part of the mission that Jesus gave his followers to share the hope of Jesus Christ with those who do not yet have a relationship with him. Because Jesus is still in the business of radically changing lives. Even those who today stand for what is deeply against the word of God. We believe that God can transform their life. We believe that God could change their life. So today you may be wrestling with, do, do I stay and remain part of something where the values are not biblical, with a desire to make a difference from the inside out? Do I walk away, do I start something different where I can be more open about my faith? Or do I take a stand and call out what contradicts what Jesus taught? Let's take a look at how real people from history recorded on the pages of the Bible responded when culture around them went against their faith in Christ. And so we start today by talking about Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And a way to understand Pharisees is that Pharisees really were influencers of the day. Pharisees were influencers when Jesus walked the earth. Now today we have all kinds of influencers. We have actors, we have politicians, we have Instagrammers, and we have TikTokers with millions of followers. We have cable news hosts, we have podcasters, radio hosts, and others who use their platforms to influence. Now influence, they, it comes in the forms of like trying to influence what we wear how we exercise, where we eat, but then goes into deeper issues like how we vote, how we respond to social issues, issues, how we think. So understanding influencers the way we do today, if we were to go back 2,000 years ago to biblical times when Jesus walked the earth, the Pharisees were the influencers of the day. They set the tone for culture. People wanted to be like the Pharisees. There was a lot of respect for the Pharisees within the Jewish population. They had this reputation for knowing a lot about what we now call the Old Testament. People wanted to imitate the lives of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were business leaders and synagogue leaders. They had a lot of power because they had such strong majority support. When they spoke, people listened. Now Jesus comes on the scene and he calls out the Pharisees. He calls out the Pharisees for their pride and hypocrisy and Jesus would point out that there were instances where the Pharisees were doing what was right but they were doing what was right with the totally wrong motives, with selfish motives. So if you have a problem with hypocritical religious people, you actually have something in common with Jesus. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, was a Pharisee, and, and, and Nicodemus famously comes to Jesus in the dark of the night to ask Jesus some deep spiritual questions. It's likely that Nicodemus came in the middle of the night because he was afraid at this time, early in the relationship with Jesus, what would happen if I'm seen interacting with Jesus? What would happen to my reputation? What would happen to my position? So Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night and it's in this conversation that's recorded for us in John chapter three, where Jesus talks to Nicodemus one-on-one -on -one about spiritual new life, spiritual rebirth, being born again. 
And it's in this conversation in the dark of night between Jesus, Jesus and Nicodemus when Jesus gives us what is possibly the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. That's in the conversation with Nicodemus. The Apostle Paul is perhaps the most well-known former Pharisee who became a follower of Christ. And also the evidence points to Nicodemus as being a Pharisee who became a follower of Christ. Nicodemus is described as the leader of the Jews and was even part of this powerful religious rule-making body called the Sanhedrin. It's highly possible that we now know about that late night conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus because in the time after the death and resurrection, Nicodemus told the story over and over again about that late night conversation that he once had with Jesus Christ. What is the evidence that Nicodemus is a Christian? Sometime after that late night conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus is in a closed door meeting with other religious leaders and the religious elite, they are very upset with what Jesus is teaching. They are threatened by Jesus' influence. They want Jesus arrested. They're mad at the guards for not arresting Jesus. And in this setting, look at Nicodemus. John chapter seven, verse 50 and 51. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. Nicodemus is in the influential organization, an organization that took a stand against Jesus. Nicodemus is perhaps a secret believer at this time, yet in the closed door meeting, he speaks up on behalf of Jesus. Being inside an organization can give believers influence that is not available to outsiders. I think of that TV writer who was placed in the room and had a chance to change the trajectory of a series because he was part of the conversation. Now for Nicodemus and Jesus and what happened there, God's plan would ultimately be fulfilled. Jesus would be arrested. Jesus would be crucified. The tomb would be empty. Yet here's Nicodemus on the record speaking against those who were strongly against Jesus. Nicodemus comes on the pages of history one more time after the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Nicodemus is there with Joseph of Arimathea and together they bury the body of Jesus in that tomb. So we've talked about Nicodemus. Fast forward on the timeline of history a little later during the growth of the early church, Paul, once again, the former Pharisee who became a church planter, missionary evangelist, and author of most of what we now call the New Testament. Paul and his team arrive in a city called Thessalonica. Now the city is known as Thessaloniki, and if you were to open up your Google Maps and type in Thessaloniki, Greece, that's the city we're talking about, Thessalonica, as it's known in the Bible. Paul brings the message of Christ to the synagogue in Thessalonica. Paul explains how Old Testament prophecies foretold that the Messiah must suffer, die, and rise from the dead. And then he makes a comment that gets a lot of people really upset. And he's, because he says, Jesus is that Messiah. And there were some in the synagogue who believed what Paul was preaching and they became followers of Christ. They joined Paul and Silas. But others did not react 
the same way. Acts 17.5, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. This is Paul and Silas were staying at Jason's place. They attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Do you see this? The jealous group is against Paul, but what they are really against is not Paul, they are really against the gospel. They are really against the message that Jesus is preaching. And sometimes, perhaps in your own life, you have felt like people are against you because of your faith in Christ. It's easier for them to be against you than for them to say that they're against the message of Jesus. They're against what you stand for. And so know that there is strength that comes in those moments where we have an opportunity to identify with Christ. And we can take, we can find strength in the confidence that when people press against our faith, they're not really against me and you. They're actually against the message that you preach. And if you today would say if you're watching or you're even here and you are for what God is against you may try to convince yourself if I can just get enough people on my side if we can just get enough laws on our side if we can just get the entertainment industry to normalize sin if we can just keep saying over and over and over again that the Bible is irrelevant closed-minded outdated and out of touch then maybe sin won't be sin anymore no level of public opinion or cultural pressure changes the reality that Jesus is the only hope for humanity's separation from God. That's a good place to say amen. About half, about half, that's good. Jesus even told us to expect false prophets will deceive people. Jesus told us that wickedness will increase. Jesus told us that the hearts of many will grow cold. In Thessalonica, there's mob violence and there's accusations. They don't get to Paul the way they want to get to Paul. Yet in this moment, Paul and Silas, they leave Thessalonica. Paul is as bold as they come. Sometimes leaving has nothing to do with your level of boldness. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just directs that it's time to move on to something else. In Thessalonica, Paul and Silas leave. You may have a greater impact if you walk away. Remember, as Jesus sent out his disciples, Jesus himself says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off of your feet. We don't know what would have happened if Paul and Silas had remained in Thessalonica because they left. What we do know is that Paul and his team, they went on to make a difference throughout the region, city after city, across the Roman Empire because they took their message elsewhere. So we've looked at Nicodemus remaining with the Pharisees. We, we've looked at Paul leaving Thessalonica. Look at one more event with me. Paul, same Paul, would later be arrested by opponents of the gospel in Jerusalem. He was accused here of breaking Jewish religious law. The dispute makes it all the way to the Roman governor for the area named Felix, a religious lawyer named Tertullus. He makes a case against Paul in front of Felix, the governor. And I want you to see how this religious lawyer describes Paul, Acts 24, 5. 
Speaking about Paul, Tertullus says, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, Christians. To say to someone, we find in you a plague, that is a bold accusation. Plague, maybe your translation says pestilence. It means, the accusation is that you are a carrier of deadly disease. You are a carrier of deadly spiritual disease. How deeply some miss it then and now. Paul is giving the message of life. He's giving the message of life, yet some are so hard-hearted that they cannot see the message of life, and here Tertullus calls it the message of death. This is the same word that Jesus used when he said to expect famines, pestilences, or plagues, and earthquakes. So once again, public opinion is turned against Paul. Acts 24, 9, the Jews also join in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. We have to be more focused on what God thinks than what the crowd thinks. And at the same time, we have to expect that for many, it actually is an expected reaction when they hear the gospel for the first time to push back against the message of Jesus. Maybe this is your own life story, that the first time you heard the message of Jesus Christ, that your initial reaction was to push back, no thank you, not for me. Why? Because the message of Jesus Christ is a disruption to the way that people are living. It makes people uncomfortable. The hope of the gospel disrupts the lives of those who attempt to find satisfaction in sin. The hope of the gospel disrupts the lives of those who attempt to find eternal assurance through religious rituals. The hope of the gospel disrupts the lives of those who attempt to find peace through dismissing the reality of God. So public opinion is here and it is against Paul. Felix, Governor Felix, he would leave office, but he wanted to do, to do a, a favor for his religious friends, the religious elites, and he says, I'm leaving office, but I'm keeping Paul in jail. And there's only a few words that are devoted to this in the Bible, but it's a long time. The Bible tells us, the book of Acts tells us, Luke reports that Paul actually sat in prison because of Felix's decision for two years. So, Festus, he comes to power. He's the new governor. Paul's been in, sitting there in prison for two years. The Jews want Paul kept quiet. They even come up with a plan to ambush and kill Paul during a prison transfer. Festus, Governor Festus, he wants to hear from Paul. Then another leader gets involved, King Agrippa. This is the ruler appointed by Rome to oversee the entire region, including Israel. So Agrippa and Bernice show up, and they have a lot of their own issues going on. Agrippa and Bernice, you see, they were brother and sister and also were like husband and wife. So they got their own stuff going on. But don't let that distract you from this moment. All of this opens the door for Paul to speak in front of some of the most influential people of that region of that time. Look at this, Acts 25, 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. 
Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So maybe if we think of a parallel in this room, this room being full, every seat taken, standing room only, people standing in the aisleways, there's on the platform or near the front of the room, there's Agrippa and Bernice and there's Festus. And he's, bring Paul in. And Paul comes in and he's wearing the chains of a prisoner brought down to the front. And Paul is given an opportunity to speak. Paul, what do you have to say for yourself? Paul has had two years in prison to think about what he might say in a moment like this. And there's a window of opportunity there's a window of opportunity. Church, sometimes we have a window of opportunity. We have a chance to speak. And there is a window of time, and if we don't seize the moment, the time will expire. Paul has an opportunity in this moment. And, and, and it's, look what he says, Acts 26, 9. Speaking in front of the great hall, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So in this moment, if anyone was in the room and they were an opponent to Jesus, Paul said, there was a time when I actually had that in common with you. I was myself convinced, Paul says, that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul, in his own life history, he locked up Christians in prison. He took part in the decision to put Christians to death. He punished Christians in their houses of worship. He had raging fury against Christians. He even had the authority and the assignment to go city to city to city as a terrorist of Christians. If you know Paul's story, you know that something changed. Paul had a radical, miraculous encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And Paul's life was transformed. So he tells the hall, there was once upon a time where I was opposed to Jesus as well. But then my life was changed and I became a follower of Christ. And Paul went from going city to city terrorizing Christians to going city to city telling people about Jesus. And look at this exchange. I love the realness of this moment and I'm gonna try to put as much life into this as I can. Festus says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Paul says in response, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. So Paul first is like responding to Festus, but then the king is also there. And so now Paul like turns to the king and he says, for the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Quite a bold thing to speak to a person who could, with one decision, end your life. Look at how Agrippa responds. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but to all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. All eyes are on Paul. He is accused of being out of his mind. And if you have heard some accusation, Christians are out of your mind. 
you would have something in common with what happened in this moment to Paul. Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. I'm, I'm standing on the truth. These are rational words. The ruler says, would you have me become a Christian right now? And the way that this is written in the original language, he's not really asking like a sincere question. He, he's more making a statement than asking a question. Like, this is ridiculous. I would never follow what you're following, Paul. But Paul boldly responds, yes, king. Sooner or later, it would be best for you and, for, and, and, and actually for everyone who's watching right now it would be best if you became a follower of Christ just like I am. Become just like I am, except for the fact that I'm in prison. I would prefer that you not become like this. Don't do this. Become a follower of Christ. Don't become a prisoner. Listen to the got questions commentary on this moment. It's so good. Paul was in chains with his life and freedom on the line. But he did not shrink back from faithfully proclaiming the gospel to those in positions of power. While the number of people who are almost persuaded to believe but then turn away is disturbing, what should be even more troubling is the number of Christians who are almost persuaded to speak boldly for Christ when they are given the opportunity only to let the opportunity pass them by. What should be even more troubling is the number of Christians who are almost persuaded to speak boldly for Christ when they are given the opportunity only to let the opportunity pass them by. Back to the questions we asked when we started our conversations today. Do we remain in or even pursue positions on the inside of organizations where part or all the organization is at odds with biblical values and try to influence change from the inside out? Or do we quietly walk away and instead give our time, talent, and treasure to organizations or new ideas that reflect Christian values? Or do we take a stand and speak out against what clearly contradicts God's word? And the answer is really not option A, B, or C, but all of the above. There is not a one-size-fits-all response to cultural pressure. And thankfully, we are not left on our own when we face decisions about how to respond to opposition that is around us. Jesus himself told us that we can anticipate help from the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell, to live inside of you? You've heard the phrase that the body is a temple, meaning what, what is a temple? A temple is a place that houses divinity. And as followers of Christ, we do not have to make a pilgrimage to some far off site to enter some temple to be close to God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, the moment that you decide to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And Jesus said, when you receive that spirit, it's like a guide. He's like a guide. Look at John 16, 13. Jesus says, 
the spirit of truth comes, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare, declare to you the things that are to come. The spirit of truth is a guide. So yes, there are times when God gives positions to believers in places where the organizational values run in opposition to biblical values. And this may be you today. I was even receiving some text messages from a friend who is part of a large international organization that is putting out more and more social messages that are at odds with God's word. And what the company does has nothing to do with any of that. But they are told as employees that they have to, in greater measure, celebrate what is against God as employees of the company. It is possible and even probable that you're not just there to go along and get along, but that God wants to use you to be a light in a dark place. And yes, there are times when we walk away. If you, in a role in any way of your life, you are told you are required to do what is against your faith there are moments where we choose to honor God and we trust him with the outcome and some of you it's not just theoretical you would say I've been there done that and your story would go something like this I was told by a manager I was told by the owner of the company I was told by the principal I was told by whoever that you, you need to do this. It's required of your job. And there was no vagueness about it. What they were asking you to do clearly violated your faith as a believer in Christ. And you said I res something like, I, I, I respect your role as a leader in this company. I respect your role as a leader in this organization. But what you're asking me to do, I simply cannot do. Because if I were to do that, it would be in direct violation of the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. And if that means that I need to lose my position here, then so be it. So be it. I trust God for the outcome. I trust that if I honor God in this moment, he will take care of me. Some of you have a story like that. Yes, there are times when God makes a way for us to take our time, talents, and resources and move to something else. Perhaps to be part of something where we are more openly able to reflect our faith into the world around us. And yes, there are times when we have to stand up and we have to speak out, especially when the powerful and influential are going after the vulnerable like our children. I so appreciate mentor, pastor, friend, and encourager, Dr. Warren Bullock, who's part of our church. He's respected across the country and really around the world as a spiritual leader, and we're just really blessed to have him in this church family. He was in our second service with his wife, Judy, today, and he often will send me little handwritten notes or even emails of encouragement. And this week, after last week's message about change and deciphering when we should stand, if we should stand up or not say anything. He sent me an email this week and he said that uh, several years ago, 
before an election, he preached a message along the same lines and he talked about how he used an illustration from World War II. And the, it was an encouragement to speak up and to speak out using an example of someone who did not speak up when they had an opportunity. After World War II was over, Martin Neimoller, considered one of the strongest witnesses against Hitler's tyranny, summed up his own response in Nazi Germany this way. In Germany, they came first for the communists, and I did not speak up because I was not a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak up because I was not a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak up because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I did not speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me. And by that time, there was no one left to speak up. Proverbs 31.8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. Thank you.